I don't think you can do manual handling training purely in a training room. Relabel it a little bit so it's not about that safe training, it's more about us getting together and making our workplace a little bit less risky. Hello, I'm Craig Thornton and welcome to the Quest to QHSE. In this weekly podcast, I, alongside my special guests, will be discussing the issues and barriers with managing your quality, health and safety and environmental compliance systems. If you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to the Quest to QHSE wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any questions for me or my guests, then check us out on Facebook at Quest to QHSE. It would be great if you leave us a review on your podcast app. This helps others to find us. This podcast is sponsored by Mango. Mango is a cloud-based integrated compliance software product that will get everyone in your organization involved and participating in your QHSE systems. This is going to be the final episode of the Quest to QHSE for the year, but we'll be coming back at the start of 2020 with some fresh QHSE content, so keep an eye out for that. We hope you've enjoyed the series so far and any feedback would be greatly appreciated. In this episode, we have Michael Terry, who's going to share with us best practice around manual handling. Michael is the owner of Momentum Safety and Ergonomics in Australia. He is a qualified physiotherapist, an OSH consultant and trainer with extensive experience in injury prevention. So Michael, without further delay, the floor is yours. Thanks very much, Craig, uh, for the introduction and thanks for the opportunity to talk about manual handling, my very favourite topic of all. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about myself and, and give the listeners a bit of a background as to where I'm coming from when I'm uncovering these topics. Um, I'm a physio, as Craig mentioned, I have been for many more years than I care to uh, admit generally. But for the sort of second half of my career, my focus has been moving away from treat, treating injuries to preventing them. And so initially that led to a look into ergonomics and manual tasks, which is where I still spend a lot of my time, and more recently looking at integrating sort of these into the wider health and safety and quality management systems as well. I've worked for a number of larger organisations, but now run my own consultancy. I do a bit of guest lecturing at Bond University on the Gold Coast here in sunny, warm Queensland. and. Um, and enjoy very much. Um, I, de I definitely have a very keen interest on research and evidence base for the interventions that we do. I do think there's a lot of stuff that people are doing these days that they could be better spending their money either not doing it at all or doing it a little bit better. So let's jump into the presentation now and I want to start talking about the problem that we've got when it comes to manual tasks and what we would call musculoskeletal disorders. And it's a problem. Um, musculoskeletal disorders, so when I'm talking about musculoskeletal disorders, I'm generally talking about the things that you would probably go to a physio for, so sprains and strains and, and disc injuries and tendonitis and what we used to call RSI, which we now call overuse injuries. All these things are lumped together and referred to as musculoskeletal disorders, and they do remain the largest source of injury and cost to business. 
we've taken millions of years to evolve to a certain point and then over probably tens to maybe, if you're being generous, hundreds of years, we've really changed the way that we work and the way that we we, we position our, our, our bodies and these have led to problems with injuries over time. Now, it's not to say that we can change these things, that's part of our, our lives these days, so we have to get better at how we're, how we're dealing with it. Things have always been heavy to lift and they still are, although we are getting a little bit better with minimising the amount of heavy lifting that we do in industry, but certainly it is still there. And our design principles are improving, but, but we're not there yet either. Here's, so it's not a new problem, but neither is it a solved one. We've, we've still got the issues out there that, uh, that we haven't quite fully addressed. Just a quick uh, look at some statistics, and for this one I've gone to a report on workers' comp stats by the Safe Work Australia. So Safe Work Australia is Australia's, I guess, health and safety authority, federal government authority, who um, look at re um, research and statistics and those sorts of things, and, and they collect Australia's workers' comp stats each year and, and take a look at those. And, and really it doesn't matter which statistics you look at, Australia or New Zealand, they all show a very similar story and that is that manual tasks are the biggest source of injury, musculoskeletal disorders coming from manual tasks, 90% of serious claims were caused by these and of these um, serious claims were the result of muscular stress while lifting or handling objects. So just reinforcing the fact that we do have an issue out there, we're getting slowly better at at managing it, but we're definitely not there yet. And it's a cost, you know, if we look at the cost to the employer, we can we can take a, a look at the iceberg model. So it's, it's the concept that the tip of the iceberg is the only part that sometimes you can see, and that's the things like our work cover premium and, and the obvious insurable costs. And in Australia, that's 1.5% of our payroll. I did a bit of looking in because I know there'll be some New Zealand listeners here and yours is a lot lower. I'm not sure why. Maybe you just don't pay people much compensation. I'm not quite sure there. Any comments, Craig? Or? Well, maybe <laughs> maybe ACC may be the issue there. I'm, I'm not exactly sure whether ACC yeah. is less or... Yeah, it's quite a bit lower, but, uh, but anyway, that's probably why everyone's coming over to Australia. Maybe you guys are just better at, at managing manual tasks. Who knows? But, uh, but anyway, it, if you look at just the work cover premium, you don't get the big picture of what the costs really are. And if we look at those uninsured costs, what we would call the bottom part of the iceberg, these are estimated to be about four times the insured costs. Whatever you think it's costing you, it's probably costing you a lot more than that. So yeah, these uninsured costs are things like um, you know, recruiting and training new staff and, and productivity issues and, and poor morale. And these things don't typically, you, you can't measure those in dollar terms very easily and therefore they don't get accounted for, but they are significant factors when it comes to looking at the, the cost of, of injury in general. And remember, if we look at the cost of injury in general, most of those costs are coming from our manual task musculoskeletal type sources. So of course we've identified and we've always known that there's been a real problem there and now we want to look at sort of what we've done in the past as to how we've sort of tried to fix this issue. And I want to sort of touch on what we might call safe lifting training or what people might 
referred to as manual handling training. The concept of bending your knees and keeping your back nice and straight. I, I think almost everyone I talk to has heard some version of that before. It's very well known, this is how you lift something safely. 40 odd percent of us um, don't lift safely most of the time does tell us that this type of training does have some issues to it and I'm, I'm going to start talking about what might be some of the issues to do with this classic and what we would call generic safe lifting training. I'm certainly not going to say that we should never give that message out again but I'm definitely going to be talking about what, what else we, we can do. Because what I think safe lifting training does is it, it doesn't really deal with the big picture. Simple instruction probably won't achieve the results that you're wanting to get. Manual handling and safe lifting training is, is going to be something similar to that. It's, it's the right idea but we're not dealing with all the risks and we're not dealing with all the factors that we know cause injuries. More of that to come up in a second but I just wanted to relate it back to, to that type of concept. And if we actually look at evidence, we, we do start to see a picture that the simple type of manual handling training that we've, we've done for many years in the past is not really achieving the results that we want. So obviously the results that we want when we, when we run a manual handling course is that we reduce injuries. And this has actually been studied a number of times and that the paper is from the Cochrane collaboration and the Cochrane collaboration is, is quite a good um, group. They, they look at multiple um, pieces of, of research and try and, and gather them all together and, and, and form a consensus um, opinion about, about a particular topic and this one's looking at you know, manual material, material handling advice um, for treating and preventing back pain in workers. But just to give you the quick summary, it was found that training people in manual handling advice and safe lifting training was no better than no advice at all. So that was a little bit um, disheartening for a lot of people when they saw that. They thought, oh, well, all this stuff that we've been doing for years is a complete waste of time. I don't think it's quite like that, but I do think we need to sort of certainly open our eyes and, and start to think that, well, our manual handling training needs to be a bit more comprehensive than what we've possibly been doing in the past. So, so here in New Zealand, we've had this thing, don't use your back like a crane. So yep. all of that sort of stuff actually makes no difference. It's well, if, if you're just looking at that by itself, Craig, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that type of stuff they've found it really doesn't help in isolation. It's got to be part of a, of a bigger, more a broad look at, at, at risk. So, mm -hmm. you know, to use your example there, you would look at, what are you lifting up like a crane as well? It's not just right. it's how you lift it, it's what you're lifting and, and where you put the thing and, and all those those factors as well. Sure. And the, the Cochrane collaboration is, is generally quite good. You, you, they don't sit, um, for the most part in my experience, don't sit behind a paywall so you can actually get good access to the stuff that they do. So I want to sort of jump away from that safe lifting training and have a look at, at what might be the bigger picture. And, and to do that we want to have a look at what are the causes of musculoskeletal disorders and what we found out might be some of these factors that other factors to take into account. Straight off the bat I'm going to get away from using the word cause because when we're talking about manual handling oftentimes cause is not the best way to think about it. 
I've, I've had lots of stories, and I bet we've all heard them ourselves, of people who are doing something quite benign. So they might be lifting up a piece of paper or a pen off the floor, and that's when they hurt their back. And if we were using our classic health and safety model, we would say, okay, they're lifting up a pen off the floor when they, they cause their injury, that must be the cause of it. And then we'll write a beautiful procedure about how to lift up pens and, and possibly ban it in the workplace. And we, we're not going to get to the big picture is what we're trying to say there. Is, is it possibly the things that they've been doing for days, weeks and months before lifting up that pen that really led towards the injury? So we talk about risk factors instead of causative factors. So we can think about physical risk factors and there's five of them that are listed. Uh, in Australia we have a hazardous manual task code of practice and I believe in New Zealand you'll be adopting much of our health and safety legislation or already have uh, down the track. So, so you might see a bit more of these coming up. So these are the five key risk factors that come from our, our hazardous manual task code of practice and they would be what we would think about as physical risk factors. Um, I'll quickly go through them. The first one is repetitive or sustained force and the second one is high or sudden force. So from the first two you can get a quite a good idea that forceful exertions are definitely a key risk for manual tasks. And that's obvious. Everyone knows that if you lift heavy things then there's more of a risk to injury. The, th the third one is repetitive movements. So this is things that we do a number of times. And again, most workplaces will have some form of repetition because that's what workplaces are. They're environments where we specialise in a particular skill or a particular product and therefore we, we do the same thing many times in a row or many times in a day. The fourth one is sustained or awkward posture. And the last one is exposure to vibration. I will expand on these a little bit more towards the end of the presentation, but just before we move on, I just wanted to look at how you know safe lifting training might relate to to these known risk factors here. And it, it really, if you think about it, it only addresses point number four, which is the awkward postures. It, the safe lifting training doesn't really address repetitive movements. It doesn't address forces. Um, March, it does a little bit, but mostly focused in on the posture. Possibly one of the reasons why we're not getting the results from this type of training that we, we thought we probably should have. All right, moving on, most of the times when um, you go and listen to this latest research on, again, musculoskeletal disorders, they, they do start to focus a lot more on other non-physical risk factors as well, which are simple things like stress, um, sleep, exercise, and our sedentary lifestyle definitely known to increase the risk of getting these types of injuries. So even not even thinking about our manual handling training in our workplace, there is some things that we can do better and perhaps encourage um, in our workforce through, through wellness programs and those sorts of things that will definitely reduce our risk as well. But that's not the focus of this presentation. Um, we're, we're more talking about the musculoskeletal side of things. We've sort of been building towards this, this need for a more comprehensive solution to our manual tasks. More comprehensive than the, the classical safe lifting training that we've done so far. And the term that's going around, and it has been around for a fair while, but I don't think it's particularly well known, is something called participatory ergonomics. It's definitely a mouthful. 
but it is the way that most people are talking when it comes to um, having a meaningful impact on, on manual task risk. So the evidence and the research is showing that this, again I'll explain it in a minute, this, this concept of participatory ergonomics is the most effective way of impacting on our, our risk factors and therefore reducing MSDs, musculoskeletal disorders. It involves, and the hint is in the word participatory, it involves a contribution of workers to the risk management process, in, in which case they get buy-in uh, to, uh, to the process and, and the reason why they might be doing or being asked to do certain things. And as I said, it's definitely more evidence-based a way of managing risk. Our legislation over here in New Zealand, coming from the Australian model law, has a key part of that around the participatory part of the right. legislation yeah. that we've copied out of, particularly you guys in Queensland there. This is sort of matching the latest legislation that's coming through as well. So just wanted to make so, that point. Yeah, and you're right, because the legislation, you know, is obviously, they look at best practice when they're writing legislation as well, and it's, it's becoming pretty well known and, and quite clear that workplaces that have good consultation mechanisms generally do better with regards to injuries and, and reducing risk. This is obviously the same concept focused in on, on manual tasks and it's probably been around for at least 10 years from when I've been looking at it. But it's, it's, it's gaining a bit of momentum definitely in, in, in what I see. So how does it look? It, it's, it's a more comprehensive solution than your one or two hour training session. That's the first thing I'll say. Now, for those of you that, that don't feel that this is something that you can really take on, I am going to talk towards the end of this presentation about what you can do in your one or two hour training session if that's all you've got. But I just want to, I guess, present the gold standard first and then we'll work back from there. It's a program that you would roll out probably over weeks, sometimes even months, and it can be ongoing as well. You have work groups and, or work teams, depending on how big your workplace is, obviously focused from different areas, and a facilitator or champion for the process. So, so that person's job is to, I guess, gain the commitment to, from management to roll this sort of process out and they train their work teams, who I've referred to. Now, they don't train them in safe lifting training, they, they train them in the risk management process, similar to what we talked about. So what are the risk factors and, and what are the ways to control those? So work teams receive this type of training in risk factors and controls, and then they go about conducting quick and not necessarily formalised, but, uh, but some sort of risk assessment and recommend controls. And the work of the facilitator, and I guess as the teams get more independent, they start to work on recommending controls that address the core problems or the risk factor. So if you've got a task where the primary risk is, is force and heavy weights and that sort of thing, your solutions won't be posturally based, they'll be more possibly equipment or workforce, work, work layouts based and those sorts of things. A bit more of that to come up in a second. Of course, the third key group is management and, and without support of management, you will never really have success of, of this more broad ranging approach to manual tasks. So they've got to provide the resources and the time and obviously, if there's recommendations coming from work teams, they've got to at least be reasonable in the way that these are uh, rolled out and obviously can't say no to everything that comes across their desk. 
just an example of, of a practical solution that was come up from workers involved in participatory ergonomics. So they had a heavy lid that was difficult to open, they had to lean in to get it, and the simple solution was to cut it in half and only access half the bin where you needed to and reduce the load. So I don't know the details of that situation, but it's a nice little example of what can come of these sort of processes. Now, before we, we move on from Workplace Health and Safety Queensland, I would like to give a little bit of a plug there. They have an excellent program called Perform. So if anyone wants to Google Perform Manual Tasks or Perform Workplace Health and Safety Queensland, you'll pretty much come straight up with it. It's on their website. It is a good program and lots of resources available there. They, they definitely roll it out um, similar to what I'm talking about here. So if you're looking for the bigger solution and you've got the resource to run it yourself, that's a good place to go. Other options for control solutions. So these are the sorts of things we want people to start thinking about a little bit more. If you've got design issues with your workforce, we want to start thinking of workflow and layout type uh, solutions. So often I'm talking to people in training, get them to have a look at the movement of a product right from receipt to dispatch and what are the different uh, manual handling opportunities along that way. Is there double handling occurring? Is there ways that we can minimise that? Is there ways that we can minimise repetition of one particular type of lift through sharing out that task through different workers? Maybe it might be roster or shift changes. These are bigger picture things, but we do know that they have a, a strong impact and if they're based on reducing manual task risk, that's what we're going to see some benefits there. It might be equipment and there's a whole range of manual handling equipment out there that you can use from forklift attachments to up-down trolleys to vacuum lifters. But the thing is, you know, a lot of companies, they'll just go out and buy this equipment without going through the process of consulting and getting ideas from their work group. And that's where this participatory ergonomics really does help. It, it gets the right ideas, but also the support for those ideas as well from the workforce. And let's not forget that it's not all about buying lots of new equipment and stuff. You know, there's other ways of controlling risk as well. And here's sort of where our safe lifting techniques might fit into a bigger program. It's workers coming up with a safe way of moving this box from this place to here. But they're the ones who came up with the idea, not a health and safety advisor telling them what to do. And, and you tend to get better buy-in and better support when the workers are part of the ideas, um, not just the solution. I guess I want to move on now to address the issue, and this is one that comes up for me quite often, both as a consultant and, and for just people who are asking for advice, is you know, what about if you don't have the time or the resources to roll that bigger program out? That's what we'd all probably want when we want to address our, our manual task risk is that we've got the, you know, all these hours and time and availability of people to, to roll out these big programs. But it doesn't always work out that way and oftentimes you really only get one or two sessions with people and that's all you've got. The question I want to ask and I think the answer is going to be yes is that can we do our manual handling training a bit better and pull some of the ideas from participatory ergonomics into the manual handling training that we have at the moment? Of course, I think the answer is yes because I'm running this presentation, but uh, you know, we can do better. So I'm going to talk about what a so-called light version of participatory ergonomics might look like and how, if I've got limited time, how I will run a, a manual handling training course.
So the basic flow of it is we have a similar process to what we have with the bigger program, which is to teach workers about their risks. And in doing that, you will identify a number of what we might call risky tasks. These are the tasks that have the force, the postures, the repetition, and maybe some vibration in there as well. And as we're going through that, we develop ideas and trolls that use these higher order, you know, more engineering type controls if we can. Of course, you can't engineer all manual handling risk out of a situation, so I think you are going to have to develop a range of safe movement techniques that are task specific when the higher order controls are not effective or not possible. And look, that happens all the time. You see these lovely solutions in the training programs, but when you get out there in the workplace, it, there's always difficult tasks that no one can come up with a really wonderful answer for. We still have to do something about those and, and that's where I think we can develop safe techniques if we can. We need to apply these techniques to practical work situations and practice them and the practice needs to be task specific and mostly let the workers have as much input as you can and this is always a challenge with workers. Sometimes you get you know, blank stares but uh, but as you involve them more and more, that you'll find that they start to want to have a little bit of input. And particularly if they see some of the things that they suggested actually into place, all of a sudden they're starting to get a lot more interested in the process. So how would we roll this out? Uh, as I said, a bit more detail now. We, we will start off with some of these risk factors and explain exactly what they mean. So I'll go through those five key risk factors with the workers and explain that these are the ones that we're looking out for when we're trying to assess the tasks that we do. And wonderful if you can get out there and take some videos and get some pictures of the workplace to actually present in the training. I really find workers are a lot more responsive to stuff that they can see happening that they actually do rather than this hypothetical situation that you've made up for them. Get the guys thinking about, okay, well, what type of things do you use or what type of things do you lift that might be heavy? As we talk about the idea and then we'll ask the question, what are the main tasks that require the use of force in our work? And then hopefully at that stage you're starting to get guys and girls thinking about some of the risks that they are exposed to and getting people to nominate some particular tasks. And as you're going through the training, it's a great idea to be writing these on a whiteboard or at least capturing the tasks that the workforce is talking about. I'll go through each one of these risk factors. We'll go through repetitive movements and again, give them an example and then ask them, you know, what are the main repetitive tasks in our work? And again, you'll get a group of answers that might be relevant to the stuff that the workers are doing. So a common one there, obviously, is the yep. repetitive tasks around computers and the ergonomics yes. involved with that. This stuff works fine for that as well. In the, the sort of session that I'm talking about at the moment, I'm probably more thinking about more of a, a manual environment. But obviously, if you're thinking about risk, you're exactly right, Craig, you know, think about what office workers do and think about the risk factors that we've mentioned so far. Well, they've got repetitive tasks and they've mm -hmm. got awkward postures and not much force, but they've certainly got at least two out of the key risk factors there and that's why people still actually can hurt sure. themselves and injure backs and shoulders when they're working in an office. So main tasks that are repetitive. At this stage, you're looking for ideas 
of, of what the tasks are and if they're coming up with ideas as to what solutions are you want to start talking about those as well because you, you want to sort of just let it flow. I find these sessions I actually don't call them manual handling and training I'll try and call it manual task risk management or relabel it a little bit so it's not about that safe training it's more about us getting together and making our workplace a little bit less risky. Trying to get the people in, in your session thinking about what their postures are, so bending and twisting, say, well, what times in your work do you find yourself bending and twisting at the back? Or it might be, what times do you find yourself reaching well above shoulder height in your standard work day? Again, you're trying to trigger thoughts and ideas in the workers so that they say, oh, yeah, when we do this, that's one example. And again, we're, we're cataloging these, building up a little bit of, a, I guess, a risk, manual task risk register. And if we can come up with solutions on the spot, we're, we're trying to do that as well. And you're asking the question always. So you're showing some pictures, hopefully some videos, and getting the workers to have a bit of a think about what they do in their job. And I'll just quickly run through the vibration as well because it's pretty straightforward. We can have um, hand-arm vibration or you could have potentially whole body vibration which might come from sitting on a particularly old um, plant, um, tends to do this more, forklifts and what have you. And, uh, and we know that, that that's also a risk factor for injury as well. So we're up to this stage where we've, we've instructed workers on what are some of their risks. We've given them some examples as much as we can and, and getting them starting to think about how, how their workplace would fit into this picture. We've made a bit of a list of key tasks that have been identified and then it's really a question of getting out there and physically going to the work site. I, I don't think you can do manual handling training purely in a training room. I think you've got to get out there and do the things that they do and the question I will always ask is not how do you lift this safely, is what would be the best way to do this task safely because that takes the focus away on technique and gets it a little bit more focused on what are some other ways you could do this a bit safer. It might be equipment, it might be where you do it, it might be how far you put things away from each other. You know, for example, if you're moving something from a conveyor belt to a, a pallet, and that's a pretty common task for a lot of warehouses, where you position that pallet makes a difference to how likely you are to twist. And if you put it a little bit further away, sometimes it means you have to take a small step and you end up having better posture. So it's just, you know, think little things like work layout and those sort of things can make a really big difference. And the great thing about it for us who are health and safety advisors, it means you don't have to try and come up with all the answers. And you don't even have to pretend that there's an answer for every task. Because that's not the way it, it tends to work. It, it tends to be that we, we do as much as we can and we're trying to reduce the risk that we can and we're always actively trying to find tasks and reduce risk. We don't solve them all, but over time, we're starting to minimise these risk factors and reduce our risk of injury. And that's a nicer way of thinking about it, I think. I think if you, if you take this approach where I have to fix all things, it's very hard to do. Um, there's, there's always going to be some manual handling or, or musculoskeletal risk out there. Yeah, just the, just the idea that we're, we're reducing risk in a continuous improvement type way. 
to make sure you act on ideas. I think these sessions are really only as good as the follow-up. So it might be equipment, it might be you know, techniques or workflows, and it might be if the workforce um, comes up with, with the idea that we're going to lift this a bit differently, okay, great, I'm going to come back in a week's time and see whether you're actually doing that or not. Uh, mention that they're going to, you're going to be following up on it. Um, if it's an equipment idea, take it to your health and safety committee and at least be seen to be proactive about the ideas that are coming through in your session. If there's technique type stuff that you've come up with, make sure you train the workers in these task specific techniques and that idea of task specific is, is one that's really important. We, we don't want to have generic training. We want to say, with this piece of equipment, this is how we lift it. And there may be some changes in procedures that you need to document along the way as well. That's pretty much it. It's risk-based. It's getting the workers more involved. And I find that you can probably get it done in about you know one to two hours, depending on how many different risky techniques that you identify uh, in your workplace. If you don't get to them all, why not do the next lot when you come back a bit later on and, and sort of run them as a couple of sessions over a few months. You've already trained them in, in the risk, the next, the next session will be a lot quicker. Just to summarise, this is the end of the, the presentation. Manual tasks are still a big problem in all industries, um, some more than others, but all industries, we're getting better, but we're not there yet. We need to take the focus away from safe ways to lift, as sometimes there is no safe way to lift. It's not to say that that is a wrong concept, it's just not the focus that we're focusing on. The participatory ergonomic approach is an internationally recognised way of reducing injuries from manual tasks. It's best rolled out as a program over a number of weeks, but we don't always have that time and even if we have only the resource to run a single session, we can still change our focus from how to lift to how to get the job done safely. When I was out consulting, not that I do it anymore, the question always came up, so what's the weight limit that you have when you're lifting? It was always a topic when people were doing a, a lifting activity. You've sort of explained a whole lot of things here around doing it differently. So what's your answer to someone who asks that? I get to ask that one as well, and even if I don't get asked it, sometimes I'll throw, a, I guess, a dummy question at the workers and say, well, well what is the safe weight that the legislation allows us to lift? And you get various answers from 16 is a common one through to 20 different weights. Sometimes people suggest different weights for males and females. But the actual answer is that there really is, certainly in Australia and I'm sure New Zealand's the same, no set limit. And the reason is because of the concept of these risk factors that I mentioned earlier. So we mentioned that force was one of those risk factors, but posture and repetition and even vibration are other risk factors to take into account. An example of how that might, guess, work would be, let's say you had something that was arbitrarily 20 kilograms, and this particular 20 kilogram weight is the perfect size to lift. It's got nice handles and it's positioned on a table that happens to be the perfect size for you, and you have to lift it onto another table that's the perfect height for you, and you only have to do that once in the day. That might be a task that because of considering all the risk factors, has some risk, but it's not particularly high risk, versus another box that is awkward, it has no handles, it weighs 10 kilograms, but there's 
50 of these on a pallet and your job is to move those from a low pallet to a high shelf. You can see what I'm getting at here is that the risk of the 10 kilogram box is substantially more than the risk of the 20 kilogram box, even though it's half the weight. So that's, I guess, the reason why we don't have safe weight limits. The answer is you've got to look in at all the risk, not just the weight. I've heard there is a change from lifting with a straight back to lifting with your back in its natural curve. Can you clarify if this is what is now being promoted by professionals? If you're going to teach a safe way of lifting, then we talk about the semi-squat. I don't think anyone, can, unless you've got some weird deformity, can get your back perfectly straight when you're lifting something. But I think I know what you mean. I think you're talking about an upright back where you bend the knees. The so-called right way is not really what we would recommend anymore. It's a lot of stress through the knees and the back is not in any better position. If we're going to lift a safe way, we would definitely recommend keeping those natural S curves and bending more from the hips rather than the knees. And the technique is called the semi-squat. Weight has no bearing. One can strain a muscle picking up a sock if done wrong. One of your comments early on in the presentation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I wouldn't say weight has no bearing. I'm saying yeah. it's one consideration out of a number. And the person who picked up the sock the wrong way probably did lift some heavy things in the past and possibly that contributed to their risk overall. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to us wherever you like to listen. For more behind the scenes and information, check out our Facebook page at Quest to QHSE. For more information on our sponsor, Mango, just visit them at mangolive.com or find them on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.